When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is producer Scott. Scott, what's up, man? How you been? What's going on with you? Uh, not much, you know, trying to fill in for our good friend Mike while he's uh, getting some sleep, hopefully. Hopefully his baby's getting some sleep, but we're back mm-hmm. to uh, to some little off-season news. Yeah, it, from what we can gather, it seems like baby McDaniel is still working on that whole, um, you know, when it gets dark, you close your eyes, close your mouth, and... Uh, you know, do that for long stretches of time. Yeah, so <laughs> Mike is uh, also working on that, I think, as we speak. Uh, so Scott filling in, doing the Lord's work, uh, going to keep us updated here with all sorts of ACC news. Uh, tried to make sure that we got a recording in here with uh, within, you know, a couple of weeks of the last one and instead of waiting, you know, like a month and a half or whatever, uh, whatever our previous interval was. So, Scott, thank you for joining. Uh, appreciate this. Uh, Thank you all for listening, by the way. Uh, if you're still listening to this in the offseason, we really appreciate you guys. You are, you are our, our real true listeners, I think, at this point. Um, you probably already know this, but you can go follow us on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash at the ACC football podcast. Uh, follow us on Twitter, Nailed on it. Instagram. Thank you. Um, all sorts of places. So just dropping that in, trying to be on good behavior since I know producer Scott is watching and uh, trying to make sure that we, we do all the right things as a podcast. Is that right, Scott? Yep. Uh Go watch YouTube, Apple, Amazon, anywhere you get your podcast. Ask your smart device. I won't say the name so it doesn't trigger yours if you're listening at home. <laughs> but um, ask it to play the podcast and it will play it. But uh, Many without saying. further ado, we can, we can get into some coaching news. Yeah, we got a bunch of news here, Scott, that we just got to kind of work through here. Um, we got a couple of contract extensions. I think one a little bit more consequential maybe than the other or one more significant than the other. Uh, the big one here, news came out, and so we record this the evening of Thursday, February the 9th. Uh, it was yesterday on the 8th that Florida State announced that they have given Mike Norvell a significant contract extension through the 2029 season. Um, with that agreement, he will now earn an average of just a shade over $8 million a year. Um, I, significant, I mean, obviously Florida State coming off of a really good year. Seems like it's been a pretty solid three-year build so far under Mike Norvell. Um, and, and for where Florida State was, I think, when he took over, it, it's it's been pretty impressive, I think. And, uh, you know, I my thought on, on Florida State, I, I think they're, they're going to be – I think that they're going to be really good next year. But to me, Scott, I think the really telling thing is going to be the next two years because, number one – can you repeat what you did in 2021 or sorry, in 2022, can you repeat that in 23, number one? And then number two in 2024, can you keep it rolling when Jordan Travis finally leaves you and you got to replace the quarterback? I think those are the kind of the key questions in my mind. And so I I realize that's a great analysis saying like, well, I don't know how good they can be over the next two years, you know, but I I, I do think that if, if they're pretty solid for like the next two years, 
I think that bodes really, really well for them to really have a nice decade ahead of them uh, at the at the top end of the ACC here. Yeah, I agree with that, and I think um, Mike Norvell's agent agrees with you, Joey. If you <laughs> read more of the article on the release, his incentives incentives start in 2024, which is next season, which include a New Year's Six bonus, a CFP bonus, and a champion, national championship bonus. So um, I I agree with you. I think if uh, Norvell can keep the train rolling down there in Tallahassee, he's going to have good things good things to come for his pocketbook and i'm sure the player's pocketbook if nil you know obviously still rolling down there in tallahassee um great improvement this year they should be better i would think next year than they were this year and without the divisions they're definitely a contender to uh i would say they're the favorite to be in the acc title game besides clemson and then they're probably the close favorite to win the whole thing mm-hmm yeah, I mean, I think that they're they're going to be a pretty popular pick to win the conference in 2023 with the way that they played, the number of guys they got coming back on both sides of the ball. One of the things that I, I wonder about, and we'll talk some more about, you know, one of the things that has really been a big deal for them the last couple of years has been transfers that have come in. You had Jermaine Johnson, the defensive end, came in. Jared Verse, the defensive lineman. Uh, you've got uh, Johnny Wilson, the wide receiver. Like, a number of these guys that have transferred into Florida State have become – big time not just like they start and they play a lot of plays like some of the best players on their team have transferred in Jordan Travis transferred in from Louisville now that was before Mike Norvell got there but but the point stands you get those transfers in those are making a big deal it makes it look like an, an attractive transfer destination for other guys who are leaving their current spots the thing I wonder about is is that a sustainable model or have you just hit blackjack, you know, three or four hands in a row at the table, that doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden the world's best blackjack player. Like it's, I don't, I don't know. Is this a, is this a skill like repeatable thing or is it a luck thing? So that'll be something to monitor as well with the way that they've constructed this roster, but it does seem like there is a really strong foundation there that might well be able to kind of return Florida state to a level of prominence that they weren't, you know, they, they hadn't been at in five, six years really. Yeah, um, I agree with you on can it keep rolling. Uh, their recruiting class, which we're going to kind of touch on later in the podcast, uh, just finished third for uh, the 2023 cycle. So, or in the ACC, third in the ACC. So, sorry to clarify there. But so, assuming they can develop some of those guys, they should be okay. Um, and a fun little tidbit, uh, apparently, um, according to Bill Connolly of ESPN, they are they as in Florida State are returning the most production of any FBS team next season. So next year, again, not worried about like you said, the future is going to be interesting. Hopefully, they'll keep it going. Um, that's all I got on Mike Norvell and the Seminoles. Spoiler: Clemson hiring the offensive coordinator is about the only thing kind of giving me pause a little bit from going pretty full steam into picking Florida State to win the ACC this fall. So uh, we'll, it, we'll see how things go through the, through the rest of the offseason. Um, I reserve the right to change that pick, but uh, when we make official picks, there is a decent shot that I am picking the Knowles to, uh, to win the conference this fall. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, one other extension that came out, it was a, just a, a minor thing, I think, in the, about a week ago. Mac Brown got a one-year extension at North Carolina to keep him there, in theory, through 2027. I don't know, Scott, if you really think he's going to be there that long. Like, this is an older man who, I think, in a weird way, as, as 
you know, above average to good as North Carolina has been under him the last couple of years. I, I do get the sense that it's wearing a little bit thin with North Carolina fans feeling like, you know, they've been pretty good, but they should have been better. I wonder between some of those things and his age, like, is he really going to coach all the way through this? This feels like it's just like a, uh, a formality, like recruiting kind of extension that doesn't really, doesn't really mean a whole lot in terms of uh, they're, they're really bought in on keeping him long-term. I uh, completely agree with you there. I have been one to throw in the uh, basketball conference group chat that I think Mac Brown is a geriatric Jordan brand model. So, <laughs> I think he should retire. I don't think they're that good. He can recruit, I guess, but can they coach still? Eh. Drake May's a talent, so he got lucky there, and the defense was got awful, so I don't know. Um, but yeah, I don't know. 2027, I don't see him staying there that long. Don't know who they would hire to replace him. I don't know if there's anyone in the North Carolina staff right now who would be looked at as a potential successor or if they'd hire from outside but not not a not akin to or i don't know if that's the right word so excuse my language but uh don't know enough about the north carolina program to know where they would be going with that don't know what do you know anything about north carolina's program on the inside not extensively um i i mean looking at the coaching staff i don't know that there's an obvious candidate to be you know the coach in waiting if anything i thought maybe phil longo would be but with him gone to Wisconsin, they, they hired Chip Lindsey to take his place. Um, I mean, Chip Lindsey, I think, has maybe experience. Yeah, he was at Troy for three years, but was pretty underwhelming. Um, he, he comes off the Malzahn tree from an offensive standpoint, which I don't know how uh, dynamic and impressive that is in these this modern day of college football. It's, it is a difference from what Longo was running, so we don't even know if that's going to work. Defensively, I mean, Gene Chizik obviously has a national title uh, under his belt, but I think that was more of uh, Cam Newton carried Gene Chizik to a national title than the other way around. So I don't know. If, I, if I'm North Carolina and, and Mac Brown comes in tomorrow and says, hey, I'm stepping down, I think, yeah, maybe you look at Gene Chizik and you say, hey, like, you know, can you, can you be the head coach for this fall? And then I'm probably running a, a start from scratch kind of situation uh, after that. I, I I don't know that this is a thing where they're going to keep it in the house. Uh, I don't know. If there's any obvious candidates. That's that's honestly the thing that might be worth thinking about or looking into is they just got rid of Dre Bly, their secondary coach, um, and the secondary yep. had been pretty terrible for you know very underwhelming for the level of talent there. I mean the guy and can they all recruit. Just left too. Yeah. The guy can recruit, and that seems like a lot of what a head coach needs to do these days. So maybe that's an option. Um, I think especially with the way that they hired Mac Brown, had some of the locals back around, it does seem like they're going to want to go for somebody that is uh, familiar to the program. But who knows? Sometimes these programs you know, lose one coach, and then they try to hire the opposite of their ex. So maybe they try to go for someone who's been as far away from them as possible. Who knows? Yep, I think that's well said. I don't have much else on Mac Brown and the Tar Heels. Do you want to talk about Miami? Yeah, let's talk about Miami. Scott, strange things are amiss in South Beach or Miami Gardens or uh, Coral Gables or wherever. Um, Mike, uh, Mike, Scott, first year uh, head <laughs> coach Mario Cristobal. Things did not go well, as we said. I mean, I think it was a, I think no. five and seven, I believe, was the the result. Um. 
I, I think it was after we recorded last that they announced officially that they were parting ways with offensive coordinator Josh Gaddis. Correct. We we talked a little bit about that, I think, in the in the weeks leading up was basically this is a guy who was a former Broyles Award winner, was really supposedly high thought of highly thought of, but like didn't seem like his offenses were super dynamic at Michigan. Didn't know that they were really all that dynamic either at, at Miami just in this one year that he was here. Started questioning how much of that is Gaddis versus how much of that is the coaches he the head coaches he was working under, you know, kind of trying to get a little too involved. So Josh Gaddis is out. I don't think that there has been an official announcement of a new offensive coordinator. We did see rumors that uh, they were potentially targeting Jason Candle, who is the head coach at Toledo. Would not be the first Mac coach to take a, an offensive coordinator role. Basically leave a sitting head coaching spot to go take an offensive coordinator after Sean Lewis did that, leaving Kent State to go take the uh, Dion's offensive coordinator role at Colorado. Um, so targeting Jason Candle there, but I just going back to his time at Oregon. When's the last time that Mario Cristobal was the head coach of a team that had like a, a an offense that felt like it was equal to or greater than the sum of its parts? It feels like it just it comes up a little bit short uh, on a regular basis when Mario Cristobal's in the room. I was gonna make a joke and say Chip Kelly, but he <laughs> didn't work for Mario Cristobal, so right. I don't know. Um, Something's weird down there in the water of South Beach. Coral Gables, like you said, don't know where they live. Mm -hmm. um, they also lost their quarterbacks coach as, as well. Mm -hmm. So, like, even if, you know, sometimes when an offense coordinator leaves, they promote from within, and it's usually a quarterbacks coach, passing game coordinator type of person, but that guy's out of here. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what the heck they're going to do. And yep. I'm, I'm not trying to be skeptical I know Miami is a very lucrative um, school. Uh, it can open up a lot of opportunities. Um, I wouldn't. I don't know if I'd leave Toledo to go coach at South Beach unless you're really over the weather in the winter in you know Northwest Ohio. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all I have. Which, if you are, understandable. We get that. Yeah, Lake Effect <laughs> Snow ain't no joke. Yeah, well, and with with some of the recent money that seems like it's pouring, like not that Miami has ever felt like a poor football program, but um, you know now with some extra money even pouring in, it seems like decent shot that Miami might be able to pay their offensive coordinator more than Toledo can pay its head coach. So there could be some some money, uh, financial incentives in there as well. Yeah, I don't know. As mentioned, uh, Frank Ponce was the quarterbacks coach. He he heads to Appalachian State to be their head their uh, offensive coordinator. Sounds like it is a kind of a step up, a, a promotional thing, but there was also some some speculation that he wasn't coming back either way. Um, so, so yeah, changing your offensive coordinator, changing your quarterbacks coach. Uh, we also found out Kevin Steele, the defensive defensive coordinator, was hired away by Nick Saban. Uh, he'll be the new DC at Alabama, and then uh, so they hired Lance Guidry, uh, formerly of Marshall. Uh, most recently, but also spent a, a good amount of time at like McNeese State and has been around for a long time. Um, he's hired as defensive coordinator. And then we find out, I think it was today, yesterday, Scott, that Charlie Strong today. seems to have resigned his position. Um, I guess. So the quote in the article I'm reading from ESPN's Chris Lowe is that 
This is from Tr- Charlie Strong. Coach Cristobal and the program made a decision to go in a different direction. It's time for me to go in a different direction. So, I, that sounds to me like he's resigning. I wonder if this is at a little the, bit of at, sour grapes about not getting that promotion. I think it is. Um, uh, later in the article from Chris Lowe still, it says that uh, Charlie Strong learned of uh, Goodreads, G- Goodreads, sorry, not good at words, um, <laughs> hiring Tuesday, and he was never interviewed for the job. And so, yeah, sour grapes sounds right. You know, and, and for a guy, I mean, he and Gidry have both been coaches for a long time. They've coached a lot of defense, all that. But, man, it's only recently. I don't know that Gidry actually, and I, I can go back and double check this. I don't know that Gidry has actually coached at the Power 5 level in the past. Um, as I scan through this, no. This is, this is his first Power 5 job is defensive coordinator for Miami. Charlie Strong, on the other hand, Obviously, former head coach at Louisville, former head coach at Texas, former defensive coordinator at Florida, South Carolina, uh, was you know coached at Notre Dame. Like he has been around the block several times. I mean, for that guy to be on your staff and to not even get an interview, I don't. Is there something there? Like what? What's the deal with that? That seems like a real slap in the face. I would think, uh, you know, and it's understandable why he would want to leave. Like, you're not even going to give me a shot at this. Yeah, uh, maybe just some bad blood between him and Cristobal. Don't agree on the direction of the program as well. I mean, obviously, if he is not getting an interview. Um, like you said, you just ran through Charlie Strong's resume. Been around the block, been around for years. Um, I'm sure he'll catch on somewhere where he wants oh, yeah. to be and he feels wanted. So maybe even maybe even can stay in the ACC as a, as assistant or a whatever they call those advisory role positions or something. But um, I'm not familiar with Charlie Strong's, like where he's originally from background. Maybe he'll try to latch onto a school, like in his hometown or wherever his like family's based. Don't know. Um, Yeah. I would say, I would even like just throw it out there. Maybe he ends up back at Notre Dame. I don't know, but random thoughts. That's all I have. You and Mike wouldn't mind. For Charlie Strong. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I would like that. Yeah, because they give Marcus Freeman more time to focus on the team and not the defense. But they got their own offense coordinator issues now with Tommy Reese leaving. So mm-hmm. we don't need to get into Notre Dame talk. Yeah, for what it's worth, Charlie was listed as a co-defensive coordinator and the linebackers coach at, uh, at Miami. His Wikipedia page now lists him as the co-defensive coordinator and linebackers coach at Alabama starting this fall. But I think that is uh, some wikipedia shenanigans i don't think that's an official report or uh, anything that's really happening at this point i will say that he he's 62 he will be he, he will be 63 by the time the season starts um he, and again he's been around for a long long time if he wants to like you said scott if he wants to coach somewhere if he wants to do something there will be jobs out there for him he is well regarded he he recruits very well i think he's a pretty damn good defensive coach for my money as well um but you could also see where he's getting, you know, later in his career, later in life, maybe, maybe he doesn't want to, uh, you know, really burn the candle at both ends, trying to uh, advance his career at this point, you know, as a guy who was, was a head coach, basically Louisville, Texas. And then remember he was also at South Florida for three years. Um, Those things kind of started to tail off, didn't really end all that well for him. I don't know. Maybe he rides off into the sunset a little bit, but this would definitely be a way I, I'd, I'd be a little surprised if he wanted to uh, let things lie 
having ended like they did here in, in Miami. Um, I will say about Lance Guidry, you know, he came from Marshall. Marshall did have a good defense the last couple of years. So I think that that's a good thing. Um, I, I just, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting that Miami, a team that, again, we're talking about them hiring, poaching a, a sitting head coach at a Mac school for offensive coordinator. And then for defensive coordinator, they're going and getting a guy who's never coached at the, at the power five level, like bit of an odd pick. That's a, that's a school that almost could have their, their, their choice of a lot of candidates out there. So a bit of an odd, interesting move for Mario Cristobal and, um, I think with what we know about him, my question is how much of this is about coaching, defensive schematics, like let's get this, you know, get that uh, set up the way that we want to. How can we make guys tackle well, some of those things, versus how much of it is kind of a, a hotshot recruiter, he's going to get me a lot of talent. Um, I don't know that Guidry is a particularly well-known, well-regarded recruiter, so it's just it's more just following the uh, – the, the crystal ball tea leaves or the, the crystal ball breadcrumbs on that one, maybe at times, but this seems more like a coaching scheme, um, actually get people in the spots they need to be in kind of higher to me. Yeah. Um, uh, refresh my memory is crystal ball originally a defensive coach. I forget. Uh, he was an offensive line coach, I believe. Okay. So my theory is out the window then, and we will disregard that. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't really know much about Guidry, Guidry, whatever that fellow's name is. Good luck <laughs> down there in South Beach, Lance. Uh, do we have anything else on the Miami staff? I don't think so. Things are still very much oh. in flux. Um, I've got a DM from from Cam here. Hi, Cam. Uh, hey, Cam. Offensive coordinator, QB coach, wide receivers coach, linebacker coach, all currently open, and others may flip as well. And that is okay. a, a a gif of the. Pig from the Geico commercial sitting, like, hanging out the car window saying, Wee! I was going to wonder if it was the dog in the burning bar. This is fine. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, okay, well, it sounds like Miami and Mario Cristobal got some more work to do down there on the coaching staff, so by the next time we roll one of these out there, maybe we'll have some more hires to announce. But, Joey, speaking of a hire, do you yes, want to give your final grade on Brent Key? Oh, I did promise this, didn't I? Um, you did. So, yeah, a little bit of dust has settled. Uh, we, we've seen a couple things, you know, where, where people have landed, both recruits, other coaches, uh, those kinds of things. We've seen how he filled out his staff and some of the off-field hires. I think in general, and this is a, a – I don't know, it feels like a little bit of a cop-out, almost like my incomplete goal or my incomplete grade was when I did the solo show on this back in, what, early December, late November, whenever that was. Um I'm going to give this like a C feels, it just feels very, I'll call it whelming. It's, I think they could have done better. I think they could have done a lot worse. Um, it does seem like the, the, the situation just sort of kind of led to this type of thing. So the, the one that people are going to kind of hang their hats on is, well, you know, you had the thing with Willie Fritz. Why can't you, you know, why couldn't you make that work? Or what does it say when he turns you down? I almost think of that as like sometimes it feels like schools and candidates just have different goals or, or, you know, kind of have different requirements. And so for this one in particular, it sounds like timeline was a significant requirement where Georgia Tech was saying we need to get somebody in the door now to try to keep the roster together, avoid a bunch of transfers, um, get prepped for signing day, which is coming up in like a week and a half, like all that stuff. 
And Willie Fritz was saying, well, my team is playing in a conference championship game for the first time in how many decades or whatever it is for uh, Tulane. Like, we're doing that on Saturday. I want to, you know, coach with these guys and, and, and be with the team through that. It's like sometimes, you know, Georgia Tech and Willie Fritz just had different requirements schedule-wise. And, and you, it sucks in a way to make a decision that's going to affect you over the next three, four, five years based on what can we do this week. But with the way that the college football calendar is set up, I mean, who knows how much more you might have lost if you brought in Willie Fritz, but you couldn't really announce him until the following week and guys are already hitting the transfer portal and, you know, you've got committed guys that are that are leaving. So I'm OK with the Brent Key hire. Um, I think some of the, the, the staff hires that he's made, uh, he hired Buster Faulkner, Georgia's like quarterback analyst, we'll say not. Not their quarterback's coach, not their offensive coordinator. Technically, not supposed to be coaching anybody at any time, but uh, apparently he and Stetson Bennett had a really great game day relationship going on, so um, I'm sure that's all that's all kosher and up to standard. Um, he's reasonably well-regarded, a guy who's been around and, and has coached in a few different spots. I think that's fine. Um, retained a decent amount of the defensive staff, which makes sense. Honestly, as bad as that defense was under Jeff Collins, like the moment that Jeff Collins left, it seemed like things started to click a lot better, which woof. Um, so much, so much can be said about that man. Um, but I don't know. I, I think if anything, I was mostly interested, intrigued at a couple of his off field hires. He hired a, like two or three different in-state high school head coaches to be like recruiting staff uh, for him in the office. I thought that was very interesting. I thought it was very uh, a, a pretty sharp move, a, a good strategy. Um, got some some names, got some clout that are going to help. I think with the the recruiting aspect, Georgia Tech is not a program that is just totally flush with NIL cash, like a couple others that we'll talk about here in a little while when we talk about signing day and final recruiting classes and all that. But what they do have, I think they're going to try to you know retain current players more so than entice new players but I I think it'll be fine I, I think if nothing else I think what we saw from Brent Key over the final eight games of the 2022 season I think what we saw is that he's going to raise the floor I don't think that Georgia Tech will be going worse than call it five and seven unless you have just like a ton of injury health issues and so in reality, I think if, if he can comp- pretty consistently get the team going to six and six, seven and five at, at the very least, I think things will start to fall into place a little bit more than that. And, and that's, uh, that should be like a baseline expectation for the Georgia Tech program. And so I, I think that he'll at least get close to that. Um, the contract was reasonably favorable to Georgia Tech. So if they want to get out of it after like two or three years, it is really not that um, – not that costly to do. It should be reasonable. So all in all, yeah, I'll call it a C, maybe a C plus. I don't know. It's um, not particularly exciting. I, I'm not like thrilled about it, but um, I think all things considered, like could have been quite a bit worse. And there are definitely names that came up as part of that search that I was like, oh, please no. Oh, please no. Um, thrilled to have Brent Key instead of like Bill O'Brien or, you know, Ken Wisenhunt's name, for whatever reason, comes up at times. I don't know. So, yeah, I'll take it. It's fine. Okay. C, C plus. We'll call that a a 76.5 then. Right that's, on the edge. That's like 
you know, that's that'll get you through engineering school. I mean, I can attest C's to that. get degrees, baby. Same. I, me too. <laughs> um, definitely, definitely can talk about that. Um, okay, I think that's good. Great. I was going to ask about the contract. Um, how long is the? How long was the contract? How many years? I think it's a five-year contract. Um, his base salary, if I'm not mistaken, and it's been a little bit since I looked I, at this, but I think it's like a five-year contract. And I want to say his first year or two, his base salary is like. Two point eight, two point nine million dollars. Like, there's definitely like a hometown discount. Uh, you know, Brent Key's not getting hired anywhere else as a head coach kind of discount. So, right. I, I thought that was good. And then the the buyout is, I think, a little bit steep. You know, the first couple of years, but I think after year two, maybe year three, it's like it becomes much more reasonable. Um, okay, uh, I guess I had one lasting question before we can move on do you think he makes it the five years hmm it's a good question um i, I can kind of see it going two ways honestly um and, and i guess really, uh go, go before before you answer that sorry the reason i ask is like will his leash be longer because the contract is favorable Maybe a little or bit. Or less favorable, shorter. I'm sorry. I, I did that backwards. But, like, because it's a favorable contract to get out of, mm-hmm. I'm thinking, like, will they just pull the trigger faster? Sorry, that's what I meant to say. I think they will. I think they will. I think, I mean, I think, like I said, I think six and six, seven and five by year two to year three is a totally reasonable expectation. And if you're not meeting that, yeah, I think they'll just absolutely pull the trigger on that. No problem. Okay. Um, the, th- the thing that I think about, though, and I wonder is there there is a little bit of crossover or similarity between Georgia Tech hiring Brent Key and, like, Northwestern hiring Pat Fitzgerald. Like, there is a chance, a chance that, you know, Brent Key, a guy who's coached under George O'Leary, who's coached under Nick Saban, like, he has seen it. He's never really had a chance to be a head coach before. There is a chance that th- this just, like, magically really works and I don't know that he – I mean, he's not going to take Georgia Tech to a playoff appearance or anything, like, wild like that. But, like, could he build Georgia Tech into what, you know, call it like Pittsburgh has become at this point, like a consistent eight, nine-win team? I don't think that's totally off the table, you know. So, I don't know. I, I think that's a possibility. I think it's also entirely possible that, yeah, he's fired after two or three years and – we're, we're having like a, another search, but this one, you know, this one, it feels like you're, you're shooting for some bigger candidates rather than trying to trying to see if you can possibly money whip coastal Carolina or something like that. So, yeah, I guess like, I'm curious, like if you get to that, like five and seven, six and six, seven and five mark over the next two to three years, I'm going to assume, like you said, that's a success. So then like after that, how long are they going to like say, all right, seven five maybe eight and four maybe maybe nine three mm-hmm. i mean i'm sorry georgia tech's not it's not in my head going to be doing great every year they could have a pop year one or twice once or twice uh similar to like what you said about pat fitzgerald i'm wondering like okay if they get into that like making bowl games consistently range but maybe not like competing for the acc title range like at what level did the georgia tech donors and decision makers decide like we want more or this is fine i guess yeah it's a good question um you know and it was that i mean there were a number of people for years that were calling to move on from paul johnson 
because I think in you know you, you after the Orange Bowl year they went three and nine and then they went nine and four I think and then it was like five and six and I think six and six and I guess that ended up being six and seven. But it's like that six and six was definitely not good enough, and and people were like, oh, we should be doing better than this, and then careful what you ask for because Jeff Collins can just you know blow a giant crater in the middle of your program. Um, so things like that can happen. Um, I I think at this point six and six sounds good. It is not hard to imagine getting two three years into six and six and thinking, well, we need to be eight and four. Um, so I, I think that's one of the things. Like you know, we can say today. Six and six would be an improvement, but at some point, not very far off, six and six won't be good enough. So, yeah, I think that that is an entirely possible situation that we're talking about. Honestly, I, I don't know what he would have to do. It would have to. I, I think he would probably have to get more towards that consistent, like, seven, especially even eight wins a year to make it through the full five years. I think people are going to be willing to move on okay. unless – unless they show a significant improvement. I think that's a reasonable, a reasonable take. Yeah. I don't know. We will see. We've, we've documented pretty well Georgia tech being a, a unique case and, and having some, some built in issues for this day and age of college football. So I, I'm curious to see what he can come up with. Um, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm curious and you know, I, I do like him. I have things I see and I hear from him. I mean, it's just, there's something about having what feels like an adult in the room uh, as opposed to having like a, you know, a, a toddler with a Twitter account running around trying to coach your team. So uh, that's that feels like an upgrade at the very least. It's about how the Brooklyn Nets locker room is feeling right now. Um, <laughs> all right. You want to talk about Section 103? I do. Yeah, Scott. It's the Internet's premier place for all things wonderful Georgia Tech apparel. Uh, it has all sorts of great T-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. Uh, they've got V-necks, uh, things for men, women, children, uh, the whole family. They've got even like this like sleeveless hoodie thing that kind of uh, matches what Brent Key was running up and down the sideline doing. Um, go check it out. They've got a couple of new things in their collection, too, just recently updated. Use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order at section103.com. I love their performance shirts. I think they're incredibly comfortable. And then I got one of the new gray hoodies, the, the coach hoodie that came in. I think it was back around Thanksgiving. Um, man, I have been wearing the heck out of that thing recently. And uh, you, you know it's good when it gets deboed by my wife, uh, who just hasn't absolutely cannot, uh, uh, cannot resist a soft gray uh, piece of clothing. And that is, uh, that is def definitively what that is. So go check them out, section103.com. Once again, use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order uh, for all sorts of wonderful, wonderful apparel for the entire family. Thanks to the official Tech Gold, all the official word marks, uh, the ATL logo, everything. It is all there. Things for football season as well as you know basketball season, baseball season coming up. Go check it all out and use promo code GOACC for 10% off your first order at section103.com. Uh, appreciate Steven and the gang for their partnership as always. Scott, let's talk. Okay. Uh, we mentioned the recruiting thing. Let's get into some – we just had National Signing Day, so let's kind of – take inventory of the ACC as it, uh, as we kind of wrap up signing day. And, and we talked about this, I don't know, probably a month ago or something uh, in terms of kind of some just generalized, you know, like where things stood. And we, we hit on a few different programs, but we can go quickly run down the, the conference from top to bottom where things stand and, and where everyone finished and just kind of give a couple of brief thoughts. Um, 
Let's start at the top, finishing first, and this is all by the the uh, the twenty four seven sports composite ranking, which combines them as well as I believe Rivals, Scout, maybe ESPN, a couple of those. Um, so we will start at the top of the ACC, where the Miami Hurricanes finished seventh overall and first in the conference. Two five stars, fifteen four stars. Uh, they they finish. I, I think. A nice little uh, margin between them and Clemson. Uh, a good recruiting class from Mario Cristobal. That is not a surprise. That is really what you hire him to do as much as anything. But, Scott, as we've said, when's the last time Miami wasn't winning football games because it was a talent issue? Show me on the field. Mm-hmm. Yep. And right now they can't because they don't have an offensive staff. Mm-hmm. If you hear media going back and forth about, well, now Miami's really recruiting and now they're going to really take over the ACC, like, just understand, the, the national media wants Miami to be good so badly. They want that so bad. They want to bring back, you know, the, the state of the U and, like, all that stuff from, like, the, the late 80s, everything. I mean, again – it has never been a talent issue with Miami. And, and you could say, like, they, they, they're not necessarily the most talented team in the ACC. Um, Clemson probably takes that crown still at this point. But at the end of the day, they are more talented than almost every team they play. And yet, they continue to go 7-5, and five, maybe 8-4 and four every year. Or 5-7 and, and seven last home. year. And lose at home to, what was that, Middle Tennessee State or something? Give up 45 points to Middle Tennessee at home. Yeah. So, yeah, show me on the field, Miami. That's next. That's correct. Uh, Number two in the ACC, number uh, 11 overall, the Clemson Tigers. Um, This is I mean, it's good. One five star, 18 four stars. It is a really solid and deep class. I just it it seems like it lacks a little bit at the top end, uh, but there is a lot of depth there. And again, Clemson going to retain their spot as, uh, you know, most talented team, I think, top to bottom in the ACC. Just, again, I think their issues and, and and what kind of them being able to get back to the heights that they achieved prior. Um, I, I don't, I don't totally know if this will do this. I don't know if it won't, but um, yeah, I don't know. Good for Clemson back at the top of the ACC where they always have been. Yep. Not much to add on my part. Um, pro- they still lack in the transfer portal down there in Clemson, South Carolina. They sure are. That is a a. Uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for here? They uh, conscientiously object to the uh, transfer portal, and that really right. goes both ways in a lot of ways. Honestly, they uh, they don't take them, but they don't lose them either. Culture. <laughs> they did. It looks like they did take Paul Tyson. Uh, from Arizona State as a quarterback, but I, that's a I real kicker name. I thought I thought he was going to be a kicker to to replace Potter, but okay, Paul Tyson. All right, uh, Dabo, keep doing your thing. I think he was related to Bear uh, Bryant, which again, Dabo played at Bama, so there's there's a connection there. If so, Faxo come to Clemson. Also, right. one of my favorite names um, in this class, Vic Burley. Go get that him, sounds Burley. like a linebacker. Defensive lineman. That's a You're linebacker good. name. Oh, close enough. All right. 
<laughs> uh, number three in the ACC, the Florida State Seminoles. They come in at 19th nationally, one five-star, eight four-stars. Um, this, is, this is where you get in the discussion again of, like, including transfers in these rankings because Florida State only had 18 players committed here and uh, without that did not include that they brought in one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine transfers, um, almost all of them from what looks like power five programs. So it's like looking at this just purely at guys coming in from high school does not give the full picture. And so when you hear these recruiting rankings, you do have to take them with a little bit of a grain of salt because it doesn't really give you the full picture of what these teams are adding or losing in a lot of ways as well from their roster a year ago. Yep. Um, now that I'm playing with the tool on 24-7, I realize you can select overall, which includes that transfer statistics, so maybe we should be looking at it that way. But otherwise, 27 total commits – you get those power five transfers. That's been like you already talked about Norvell's bread and butter so far down in Tallahassee. See if they can keep it going. Good classes like this though, if they can develop the talent and transfer in the talent when they need to, they're going to be fine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Number four in the ACC and number 28 nationally, North Carolina. The ACC only has four teams in the top 30 nationally. That's not a great sign, but again, a little bit of a, you know, there might be some context there that we can include, but North Carolina, this is not as high end of a class as we had seen in previous years under Mac Brown. I wonder, I, I wonder if that's, you know, a little bit related maybe to that contract extension or there's something going on with high school recruits. They're not getting the, the high end level guys right now that they had gotten earlier in his tenure. Um, maybe kind of results-driven. I mean, they just saw Dre Bly, who was reportedly an amazing recruiter, leave the program. All of the defensive backs that Dre Bly brought in transferred out. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking maybe it's trickling down. Also, you have influence from, I don't mean to you know, put my own team out there, but Virginia Tech's Brent Pry has been focusing on um, recruiting more than his uh, previous the previous man at the helm there down there in Blacksburg, Justin Fuente. So I don't know if that has an impact at all. Um, and then there's the NIL factor. The people are just getting paid more to go other places. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of which, number five in the ACC, Louisville, uh, number 35 nationally, uh, only 15 commits, but they're, they're high end guys. Uh, Scott, it turns out Louisville starting to develop a pipeline out in the state of California. Louisville, <laughs> With 15 commits, four of them from the state of California, all of them four stars, I do believe. Uh, Pierce Clarkson, quarterback out of St. John Bosco. Uh, Aaron Williams, defensive back, also out of St. John Bosco, four star. Jamari Johnson, Inglewood, California, four star. And then Jaleel McLean, a high three star out of also St. John Bosco. Scott, what is it what do, I miss? do you think about kids that grew up in Southern California and are playing their football out in Southern California that now they are being enticed to come to Louisville, Kentucky to play their college football? Uh, my man Pappy Van Winkle is putting some NIL money together and uh, is getting those crutes and kind of get that crutes out to uh, the state of Kentucky. Or our man Papa John, formerly <laughs> stadium sponsor, 
is paying for pizza sponsorships. Dropping some uh, bags. Sounds like NAL to me. Last I checked, the Hyperloop did not go and won't be going from Louisville, Kentucky to Southern California. Sorry, Elon. So I don't know. I haven't checked recently, but I'll take your word for that. (laughs) Thanks. Uh, Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's what what Papa John is doing now with his money now that he's uh, kind of been disgraced and he's not literally allowed to be officially associated with the the school is just, you know, go get guys. I don't know. yeah, very clear that Louisville has a uh, a very alive and well NIL program, I think. Uh, Ruben Owens was the running back out of, like, Victoria, Texas, like the middle of nowhere, that all of a sudden he decided he wanted to go to Louisville. Um, and by the way, all these guys were committed well before they made a coaching change. And it was Owens who flipped to Texas A&M, I think, around the time of the coaching change. That made s- some sense. But everyone else seems to have stuck with Louisville and doesn't seem to be worried about a coaching change, which, once again, could be anything. Probably, uh, you know, we'll call it NIL. I am so tired of calling it that. Can we just call it what it is? It's like pay-for-play. Come on. Like, let's grow up and be adults here. It's pay-for-play. It's fine. Just call it what it is. It's money. It's Moving money. on. Number six. Uh, my Virginia Tech Hokies. Your Hokies, yep. Scott. How do we feel about the recruiting class? They're overhauling the whole roster. The roster was bad. Needed. They got 34 commits total between transfers and high school students. I think that's the most... In the conference, quick glance looks like it's the most. Um, a lot of turnover. They're they're overhauling the whole thing. They asked veterans to leave. Basically, they're like, you don't have a spot here anymore. People mm-hmm. that had eligibility left. They're transferring um, some in conference, some out of conference. So Brent Price trying. I like to see him trying. I'm hoping to see results this year. And that's that's all I got. Yep. Yeah, as we talked about, I I remain high on the Brent. Pry higher, Brent Key, Brent Pry. Got to keep my Brents straight here. Um, I, I remain high on the Brent Pry higher, but it, I, I always felt like this is going to take a couple of years because I felt like the the damage that Justin Fuente and his staff did to that roster is not something. Even with the transfer portal, I just don't think that's something you could fix overnight. You you can't, and you saw it last year. It, it it's not good. The the depth doesn't exist. So yep. he's doing his darndest. He's trying to recruit the heck out of the state of Virginia, which Fuente neglected to do. Hopefully that turns around for the Hokies that listen to this podcast and we have some some good pipelines in-state and then hopefully uh, some results to show for it come in the fall yep. and later. And as you mentioned, 27 commitments that led the, led the conference. Um, that's just purely from a numbers game. It doesn't really mean anything one way or the other, just – Kind of helps the numbers. Number seven, the midpoint, the NC State Wolfpack. They are the bar in recruiting. And if you're a real OG of this podcast, you know the joke there. But um, I don't know. It's fine. Three, four stars, 15, three stars. Again, this is one of those where it seems like it kind of lacks for high-end talent a little bit. But NC State, also a program that seems like they are more than capable of finding some, uh, some diamonds in the rough, some gems that are able to come in and make an impact. Um, they brought in six transfers as well, including Dakari Collins from Clemson and Brennan Armstrong from Virginia. And that's the big one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that QB situation is going to be fun to watch. Number eight, the Pitt Panthers. Sorry, go ahead. I just said it will. Go on. Ah, fair enough. 
Number eight, the Pitt Panthers. Uh, 19 commitments, one four-star, 18 three-stars. Once again, a program that um, I, I don't know how consistently they're, they're going to be bringing in guys that are like ultra well-regarded recruits, but they always seem to turn into like NFL caliber defensive linemen. So uh, what, what do I or any of the scouts out there really know about what Pitt is doing? Um, they are 51st nationally. And man, I got to tell you, like it is a little bit uh, discouraging seeing the eighth team in the ACC not in the top 50 and being out-recruited by Oregon State, Northwestern, uh, like Arizona. You, you can go down the list of some of these schools that are ahead of Pitt at eight in the ACC, and it's like, man, I worry about this conference a little bit sometimes. I do too. Also, Phil, Phil uh, Jerkovic transfer. So, mm-hmm. in-conference transfer. So, we'll see. That's a big deal. Um but yeah, the next the uh, Pitt's fine. I mean, eight uh, would expect it to be a little bit higher, but you know, who really wants to go play for Narduzzi? He seems kind of meh. Uh, and uh, the next few teams, though, I have a question slash maybe a take for when we mm-hmm. get through them, and it has to do with academics. So go on. You want to hit like three in a row here, or four? Sure, nine. I don't know, I don't know how many. Sh- you had in sure, sure. Nine through nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Uh, in this order, Georgia Tech, Duke, Boston College, Virginia. Do academics play a, a huge role here in having these teams lower? Or they're bad, except for Duke, who had a great year. Yeah, I think that's that's the one caveat is that Duke was actually like legit good. But, I mean, you, 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 look, at, you look at the schools at the highest end of the ACC – and you look at the schools kind of on the bottom end of the ACC recruiting wise, and you start trying to think through which ones are the most academically rigorous versus which ones are the most maybe academically forgiving. And I don't think you're shocked to find out there's a little bit of a pattern there. Um, I will say that. Um, now there's also a lot of other context at play here uh, as mentioned. I mean, Georgia Tech, for the things that make it tough to recruit there, it is in like in the middle of Atlanta and and in the state of Georgia, which is like a super deep state recruiting wise. Um, There's a a very different number of transfers here for each of these schools. I mean, Duke bringing in 33 total new players. So I don't know. I think I think you're probably onto something. There's probably something to that, especially, you know, and and one of the things we're finding out, too, especially with the the level of impact the transfer portal is having is these different schools, there's not a lot of rhyme or reason, it seems like, as to which schools are more willing to take transfers versus not. Like, that was a big storyline when Dion took the Colorado job, was that Colorado did not want to take transfers, like, almost at all. Colorado, like, big state school in the middle of the country didn't want to take a bunch of transfers. Um, so it's like the school's willingness to take transfers can really shrink your pool of talent that you're, you're able to actually target and get into school and, and put on your roster. Um, so that's something else that has to be considered that I don't know that we have a lot of great data on for a lot of these schools, but I can, as I've said before, I can tell you Georgia tech, it is not easy to transfer in there, especially for uh, you know, football players who it's one thing if you're studying engineering somewhere else, then you know it's, it's doable, but a lot of these guys are, are studying things at other schools that just do not translate to like any of the few programs at Georgia tech. So it makes, it makes your transfer pool a lot smaller than it could be. 
And I think that could be the case at a number of other institutions as well. Yep. Uh, that makes sense. Every time you've given that take, it totally adds up. Um, for Duke, I think, obviously, small private school. Uh, haven't been historically good, but I think, you know, obviously with the good year this year, if they can put together another one, I think that will turn around. Mm-hmm. Boston College, yikers. UVA, yikers. Wake Forest, though, is 13th, and the claw. The claw. Ah! There we go. <laughs> has been successful uh, at developing the talent. So I, mm-hmm. I guess I can't knock it, but like it seems really low for Wake Forest. And then there's Syracuse, mm-hmm. a solid DFL. And if you don't know what DFL stands for, that's dead effing last. Um, oh, that's different than D4L, who did, what, shake that Laffy Taffy back in the mid-2000s? <laughs> yes, different. Um, okay, all right, good. I don't know how Dino keeps this up. I will. There is definitely a numbers game here as well. Um, Pitt, in the middle of the conference, took 23. Wake took 23. Syracuse took 22. Th- those were the three lowest totals, basically, in the ACC. So that's that's a little bit of a part of it, but... Then you look at the uh, the actual score, you know, when you, you rate the actual quality of the, the 22 that Syracuse brought in, there is a gap between the 23 that Wake brought in and the 22 that Syracuse brought in, and it's not good. I'm with you, Scott. I I don't know. As much as they, they made a bowl game and things seemed like they were looking up last year, I I think this might be – we might be staring down the, uh, the, the end of the Dino Babers, Dino Babers era uh, for the Orange. Just like they were staring down those uh, passes to the wing in the bowl game. <laughs> Everyone could see that, including the defense of Minnesota. Yeah, that was uh, that was including good. the recruits that they don't have. Yeah. Um, best of luck in upstate New York. I wonder if how, how we could put this. Yeah, the dist the, the distance between Syracuse at fourteen and Wake Forest at thirteen, scoring wise. By the way. Is this is like roughly the same as the distance between Wake Forest at thirteen and Pitt at eight? Like there is a serious drop off in quality there for for the, the class that Syracuse brought in versus everyone else, um, and that that does include a couple of transfers. So there there is that as well. Um, I I don't know. Not not surprised to see them towards the bottom. I think that the team that I'm honestly more concerned about seeing towards the bottom is Virginia at twelve. That is not good. That is a, a program that. Again, we've talked about with with kind of where they're at roster wise, and obviously, as always, there's the caveat of I know the way that their season ended. It's it's horrible. It's tragic. We haven't forgot about that. I'm not dismissing that at all. Um, there is nothing that Tony Elliott will do more important this off season than help guide his team through that and and that grieving process and everything like that. But if I look at the next two three years, and, and you know, are they going to win football games or not? I, I look at this and I see them 12th in the ACC after a struggling year last year. I kind of thought the idea was that Tony Elliott and some of the guys he brought in were supposed to be, you know, pretty sharp recruiters. And man, I'm just not seeing it. I've got some rival bias, obviously, as a as a Hokie alum and fan, but I am concerned. One because like they were. Wasn't Bronco better than this? Mm-hmm. Totally was. 
And two, this was not like this was a whole year of recruiting. Like he was hired last year. This, so, in theory, I mean, for someone who is around for five or six years at a program and then he's either fired or moved on, chances are your first full recruiting class is like your best or like your second best, right? Like this, this should be the one where it's like you're really driving off of your hype and well, we got to turn this thing around. We need playmakers like you, you know, the whole thing. If this is this is about the best you can do, this absolutely is not going to work in Charlottesville. I'll tell you that right now. Yeah, and um, to speak on the quality kind of you were talking about between Syracuse and Wake Forest, if Wake Forest is technically one rank below uh, Virginia at 13 as opposed to UVA at 12, uh, but they only are separated by less than a point in the total composite. Uh, mm-hmm. And Wake Forest has three less players committed. So right. I think that kind of states again to that, that quality of player. Sure does. It sure does. So there's your ACC recruiting rankings. Um, and as Scott mentioned, we found the overall rankings uh, on 24-7 that does factor in transfers, although that that does seem like as, as much as it is still kind of a new system, it's uh, recruiting rankings are inherently imperfect, imperfect anyways, but uh, the transfer rankings seem even more imperfect. So take all this with a grain of salt. I don't know. Maybe Syracuse or Virginia will win the ACC next year. It's possible. It, it could happen. But, uh, you know, no. <laughs> well, if they were going to win the ACC, there's a certain set of games that they would have to win. And those were defined by the schedule release that came out. Do you like that transition? How, how do you feel about, feel about that? Nice. <laughs> the ACC announced the schedule for the 2023 season here in the last week or so. A couple weeks, I guess. It was January 30th. Yeah, cool. All right. That, time, time flies when you're having fun, Scott. Um, the ACC announced the 2023 schedule. We got that release. I... I don't know that there's a ton of analysis. I mean, we could point out a couple of key games. I was going to say, I mean, I, my big takeaway from this is I honestly don't understand the hype around this schedule release. And it's the same thing as the NFL schedule release. When the ACC announced back in June of 2022 that they were going to be abandoning the division structure and moving to just like a three permanent rival, uh, five rotating opponent kind of situation. They announced in doing so who the permanent rivals were and the rotation schedule of, of who was going to play who every year. So at that point, and by the way, the, 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 rotating, the rotating games, they also announced the home and away for the next three, four years, I believe. So at this point, we knew who you're going to play. We know where you're going to play them. So all they were announcing is when you're going to play them the sequencing and and you found out a couple of Thursday night games or I, I guess Georgia tech Louisville opening weekend got moved to Friday night, like a couple things like that. But like, I don't know, people made a big deal about this the same way they do with the NFL, where that's a very like uh, uh, a regimented structured scheduling model. I don't get the whole schedule release hype. It, it seems like a lot about nothing to me personally. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, don't get the hype. Don't get, the production TV, whatever that was. Um, there was a lot of complaints online, a lot of complaints from myself, uh, that it was boring and just let's get to the point. Mm-hmm. But the schedule's here. 
We know when we're playing different teams. Um, I think you hit on a lot of good points. I don't really know why there's such good hype. I think, I think there's one cool little thing on opening weekend of Labor Day. There is an ACC matchup each day from Thursday through Monday, I believe. So that's cool. Mm -hmm. Go ACC to that. Hell yeah. There was one kind of note I wanted to put out there, and we're kind of, you know, rolling off the UVA lack of recruiting ranking. I don't know if they're going to be favored until October. So if you look at their schedule, they start with Tennessee. That's a big no. They play in JMU. They're better than them right Mm -hmm. now. They're playing Maryland. They're not going to be favored at Maryland. Yeah. NC State, nope. Boston College, maybe, but it's at Boston College, and then they get William and Mary. So, you may well be right. They might. Yeah, it might be their sixth game before they're favored. <laughs> wow. Right. So, it's going to be tough sledding for the Cavs. Um, mm-hmm. And then, I don't know if you have anything else to add, but I'll just talk about what I think my favorite week of the season is going to be. Mm-hmm. Just looking at it now, and it's on paper. Uh, it's a light week with a couple bye weeks, but week eight. Uh, Saturday, October 21st. We've got Boston College and Georgia Tech. Clemson travels to Miami. Duke travels to Tallahassee. UVA travels to UNC. And Pitt travels to Wake. Now, some of those aren't super flashy matchups, but I think historically in the old structure with Coastal and Atlantic that you get some good cross matchups that you might have not seen all the time. And then you also get some teams that were good last year. I'm talking specifically about Duke, Florida State that I'm excited to see um, this year. I'm looking at this. I actually, I don't think any of these games that weekend are games that we would have seen on an annual basis in previous years. I think every single one of those is a new matchup, you know, that would have, it would have had to have like lined up the, the cross, uh, the, the cross division rivalries, like your, uh, the the other division game like you would have had to have lined that up perfectly otherwise none of these are like annual games you would have seen so that's that's a pretty cool little this, uh, easter egg for that week yeah besides uva and unc they're both in the yes okay yeah that's but true. yes that's true um fair enough yeah that otherwise that be you're a really correct week. what's that otherwise you're correct mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah i do like this about acc scheduling is you get kind of into that back half of the season. And I feel like the league does a pretty good job of reserving those weeks other than the week prior to Thanksgiving, the final week of the year, they do pretty well at reserving those for conference play where we're going to sit here and we're going to talk about all 14 teams playing and it's going to be seven games because they're all just playing each other. Maybe there's a Notre Dame game in there somewhere. Um, But for the most part, those are, those are pretty dense ACC on ACC competition that are, that are pretty good. Um, I'm definitely excited for week one. As you said, we've got Thursday night, Wake taking on Elon. Friday night is uh, Miami versus Miami. And if you're asking, wait, which Miami? Well, there's only two. They're playing each other, and it's in uh, the one. They're they're playing in Florida, so take that for what it is. Uh, Louisville at Georgia Tech in the uh, the Mercedes-Benz Stadium there in Atlanta. That'll be Friday night. Uh, Saturday, Boston College and North Carolina and NC State, Pitt, Syracuse, Virginia, and Virginia Tech all in action as your Hokies try to get revenge on the Old Dominion Monarchs, Scott. Again. Just figured I'll bring that up. 
Sunday, Florida <laughs> State takes on LSU, and then Monday will be Clemson and Duke. Uh, so yeah, five straight days of ACC games. That'll be that'll be a great opening weekend. Uh, Notre Dame week two taking on NC State. Week five taking on Duke. Uh, they play Clemson in on November 4th. They play Pitt on the 28th of October. And then they will play Wake Forest November the 18th. And if you think that I had this written down and I am just like reading it off, you are incorrect. I am trying to find that logo on the, the logo schedule. So those are the five games that Notre Dame will be playing against the ACC this year. That'll be fun. Um couple other primetime games, I guess. Uh, Louisville will play Murray State on a Thursday night. Uh, Miami plays Bethune-Cookman on a Thursday night. I, I don't really know why, but sure, for either of those, honestly. Um, <laughs> Virginia and NC State will play on a Friday night uh, late in September. And then uh, Louisville and NC State will also play on a Friday night the week later in, at, the, at the very end of September, on the 30th of September. Um, Syracuse has back-to-back weeknight games in, uh, on Thursday nights against Virginia Tech and then Boston College. Uh, so those games, well, I guess Thursday, Thursday against Virginia Tech, Friday against Boston College. Um, Virginia and Louisville will play on a Thursday night, uh, November the 9th. Pitt plays Boston College on a Thursday night, the November the 16th. And then uh, Friday, Black Friday, will be Miami and Boston College. So that'll be a, a fun Thanksgiving weekend game as well. Looks like we got a consistent, except for a couple weeks in there where there's a bye week, every week it looks like they've got a Thursday or Friday night matchup. Mm-hmm. That's kind of cool. Bring back weeknight football, please, as much as possible. I, I love it. I miss the consistent Thursday night ACC games that we would see for, for the longest time. Um, please, at least give me that. If you can't give me Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech every year, at least give me the weeknight games. That's still a sin. I know. I'm sad sucks. they got rid of that. I, that. I'm really not happy about it. Um, I will say one of the clear winners, I felt like, of this new scheduling model – really seems to be Louisville. Um, I think, you know, with the, with the new head coach, Jeff Brom, and with the way that their recruiting seems to be up, you know, hitting a real uptick with, you know, their NIL support, their pay-for-play support, all that, to then also get into a place where you're not having to play Florida State or Clemson annually, I think this sets up really well for Louisville to have shots at ACC championship game appearances at least every other year because next year they will play both teams. Uh, both Clemson and Florida State. But I think this sets up very nicely for for Louisville potentially being able to sneak their way into Charlotte there uh, in early December. Yeah, and it's also great for the players. Um, They get to play different schools that they weren't, you know, playing all the time and get to go to different places. So that's cool as, you know, college experience. Also great for the fans like us. I mean, like, it's cool seeing your team play other teams and not the same boring six coastal teams every year. Like mm-hmm. we're playing, we as in Virginia tech are playing Florida state this year. Now I have seen them play them once before, but like that's it. And then they are, they're going to play Louisville also, which they played before, but like, it's different. They're going to Louisville and you know, it's going to be good. And NC state consistently it's, it's going to be good overall. 
I agree. I mean, there's a couple of little aspects, again, like Georgia Tech and Virginia Tech not playing every year. That bothers me. There's a couple other little nuances probably that I I don't love about this. But by and large, I, I really like this scheduling model. It is it is silly how long it was taking, you know, year over year. If you if you exclude the COVID year when they kind of threw the schedule out the window, added another team, and like totally rebuilt the thing. Other than that, I mean, it had been. Georgia Tech is playing at Wake Forest. I don't know if that's happened since I got to college in two thousand nine. That might have been like the last year they played there. I mean, it's been so long since Georgia Tech has traveled to Winston Salem. And it's just bizarre for that to be the case when these teams are in the same conference. So they will be writing that wrong, playing in every stadium at minimum every four years, if not every other year. Uh, that feels like the right move. And I think, like you said, I mean, I think it provides a lot better matchups here. Yep. should be so. more fun. Now, if we can just fix the ACC regional networks, this will make everything better. Oh, man. Well, yeah, it turns out Bally is, like, going bankrupt, which I think everyone is really hopeful that it means, uh, well, they'll be out of the contract with the ACC. I'm almost positive that is not what it means. That contract will go on and on and on and on until uh, it's it's over. I, I don't know. <laughs> Thanks, John Swafford. Good job. Sigh. Yeah. Uh, it's painful for basketball season two. I know uh, we're mm-hmm. technically we're basketball conference, so we can give a brief mention. I think coming up this Saturday, like there are four games, ACC games, and two of them are on regional networks at times that the ACC network is not being used, and it's mm-hmm. like, come on, man! Like, it's ridiculous. Just yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Scott, that's all I got. Anything else on schedules? Anything else we want to talk about? Um, maybe our upcoming schedule and what we're going to try to do. Yeah. So we've mentioned this a couple times. Our, our goal here is to do some team recaps. Um, a few teams that I think had particularly interesting seasons. I think if you know us and if we know ourselves, we are absolutely kidding ourselves. If we say we're going to try to recap all 14 team seasons here over the course of the offseason, we just truthfully, frankly, we don't – did I say frankly? Wow. Things are going you did. great. Um, frankly, we, we don't record that much through the offseason. <laughs> I don't think we're going to record 14 episodes on uh, each individual team, but there will be some that we try to go through and, and deep dive kind of what happened, where things are set up to go from here. Um, I think we, we've discussed before and, and we've talked with Cam. I, I don't think I'm overstepping anywhere saying that uh, I think – we're ready to have cam on at some point soon to talk about what the hell's going on in South Florida uh, with his hurricanes. But in any case, keep your eye out. We're going to keep recording as, as various news things pop up. Uh, we'll do some team recaps. Keep it tuned here. We, we were going to keep the content coming your way here in the off season. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll get a little bit of shut eye in between as, as hopefully uh, baby Weaver, baby McDaniel and everyone else involved is uh, also getting said shut eye. Yeah, um, looking forward to it. Going to hopefully set up um, similar to the preview we got episodes that you guys do. We're going to hopefully bring in some beat writers for those few teams that we are going to deep dive on. Maybe mm-hmm. not, but we'll see. Um, hopefully they would want to come on. And then going to try to keep rolling this through the spring games. Hopefully news coming out of spring games coming up. And then mm-hmm. roll into the summer schedule eventually. So, yeah. Um, 
We'll talk yeah. briefly about the NFL draft when it happens. And as you mentioned, I mean, maybe a couple of spring game occurrences that happen. Um, as we do these team recaps, as you mentioned, I mean, there's very, very few teams that I would trust us to do those totally by ourselves. We're absolutely going to have to call in some reinforcements to help us and give us some insights there. So, uh, yeah, I mean, a lot, a lot of content still coming your way. We're, we're still talking ACC football all offseason, as, uh, as a show called Basketball Conference can be expected to do so. So, uh, please keep it tuned here. Yeah, please do. And uh, since we're in the offseason, work on your golf game. Work mm-hmm. on something. I'm trying. Go shoot some. Go shoot some hoops. My golf game needs work, man. Same. <laughs> I think that's the case for all of us. Um, I saw a great Robin Williams stand up a couple of days ago. Rest in peace, Robin. But uh, he 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 did it's a little a number impersonating some like Scottish guys who invented the game of golf and how just absolutely absurd it is that somebody thought this would be a fun game. <laughs> it's like. Yeah. Anyways, go look it up if you get a chance. I'm not going to go into it. I, I couldn't possibly do it justice on this this medium. Scott, that's all I got. All right. Same. You want to work on getting out of here? Let's get out of here and go to bed. As mentioned earlier, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at FTRS Joey. Uh, Mike is at Mike McDaniel SI. Together, we're at BC Podcast ACC. And you can follow Scott on Twitter at Severus Snipes. Uh, Producer Scott can be found there. So go do that. You can find us on iTunes, on Google Play, on Spotify. Anywhere you go find your podcasts, uh, go find us there. Please subscribe. Please follow, uh, rate, review, whatever those things are that you do on those podcast Smash platforms. Smash the like button. Smash that like and subscribe button. Uh, do that on YouTube as well. We're at uh, youtube.com slash at the ACC football podcast. Uh, please find us there. Again, smash that like, smash that subscribe, hit the bell icon for more. We'll see you in the next uh, – uh, never, sorry. I've been watching too much of that. Um, Scott, you want to tell the people where they can uh, find us on the social medias? Uh, basketball Conference on Facebook, facebook.com slash conference. Find some of the podcasts there. I mm-hmm. butchered that. Um, at BC Podcast ACC on Twitter and Instagram. Instagram has been kind of – dull lately because i've deleted the app from my phone so sorry fam um trying to to deconnect trying to yeah trying to deconnect for for a little while um so that's where you can find us uh you did call out my twitter i also deleted that app so just you know be aware that i i might not check it uh, for a little while so that's all you killed it scott great work great work um you can send us emails by the way as as mentioned you know We've got things we'll probably talk about, but if you want to tell us what you want us to talk about, send us an email to the longest email address known to man, basketballconferencepodcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. I think that's it. I think that's all. Scott, did I forget anything? Nope. You did it. Sweet. 100%. Scott, you're the man. Thank you for filling in tonight and tagging in for Mike and, uh, We'll have to do this again soon. Hopefully we can get the whole band back together at some point soon and uh, talk more ACC football. How's that sound? Sounds good. Um, yep. Hope we can get uh, Mike and baby McDaniel to sleep so they mm-hmm. can both join us. Uh, well, you know, <laughs> baby McDaniel in spirit. I'll bleep that out. Uh, and <laughs> um, Doxing and Mike Mike's kid. Well done. Protecting the identity. It's not my kid. I don't know. <laughs>
What are the odds that Baby McDaniel has worse ACC takes than his dad does? We should just have him on the podcast, too. Non-zero chance. <laughs> like father, like son. There you go. Scott, yeah. this has been fun. Appreciate your time tonight. We'll, uh, we'll do it again soon. How's that sound? Sounds great. Thanks. All right. For that guy, Mr. Producer Scott, and for our co-host, Mr. Mike McDaniel, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We will talk to you again soon. Until then, go ACC. Go ACC.